You're listening to MuniCast, the podcast that discusses municipal leadership. Season 5 of MuniCast is brought to you by SASTEL's innovation and collaboration team. SASTEL can help you sort through the noise to create solutions that add value quickly, whether it's reducing your environmental footprint, driving investment, community development, or just saving money. Contact your SASTEL account manager to find out more. MuniCast is hosted by SUMA, the voice of Saskatchewan's hometowns. I'm Stephanie, SUMA's Education and Events Coordinator, and in Season 5 of MuniCast, we are discussing how truth and reconciliation relates to municipalities. On this episode, I'm joined by Rhett Sangster and Shade Heinbecker from the Office of the Treaty Commissioner. Rhett works with the Office of the Treaty Commissioner, coordinating efforts to engage both the public and community leaders on the nature of reconciliation in Saskatchewan. This process aims to work with as many partners as possible to identify shared priorities and a broadly owned vision for the future. Rhett grew up in Treaty 6 territory in Tisdale, Saskatchewan, and is a graduate of the University of Saskatchewan with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Studies. He moved to Ottawa in 2000 to become a Foreign Service Officer and has spent the majority of his career working on issues of international conflict and peacebuilding. He spent three years posted as a diplomat in Turkey, led a successful effort to improve dialogue and cooperation between Afghan and Pakistani border officials, and coordinated Canadian international policy on mediation, peace processes, and the effects of war on women and girls. Red accepted a Rotary Peace Fellowship in 2012 and graduated in 2014 with a Master's in International Development Policy from Duke University. His thesis focused on conflict prevention and reconciliation in Saskatchewan. Shade Heimbecker is a member of the Muscadet First Nation on Treaty 6 territory. She was eager to learn about the treaties, Canada's history, and the importance of her culture when she was in her adolescence, and had the opportunity to work casually for the Office of the Treaty Commissioner from 2010 to 2015, where she prepared treaty kits, DVDs, and educational binders. She also attended booths at various events and was a day camp leader where various traditional activities were done, including the preparation of traditional food and helping children to understand their culture. Shade has completed both her fourth and third class power engineering through the Saskatchewan Indian Institute of Technologies. Her return at the Office of the Treaty Commissioner in the fall of 2021 has allowed her the opportunity of gaining a deeper understanding of treaties and the history of Canada, as well as her own culture all of which she is passionate about. She is working with the reconciliation team in the Truth and Reconciliation through Treaty Implementation Department, helping guide organizations on building an action plan for their reconciliation journey. Welcome, Rhett and Shade. Thank you very much for joining us for this conversation. Thanks for having Uh, us. Good morning. Yeah, thank you for having us today. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada has outlined 94 calls to action with a portion of those calls directed towards government, some to all levels of government, including municipalities. In our first conversation of this season of the podcast, lawyer John Stefaniak spoke with us about the legal requirements for municipalities to engage with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action. And while there are few legal requirements, John did highlight that education is a crucial component of reconciliation that municipalities can be partaking in. So the Office of the Treaty Commissioner offers resources and opportunities for Saskatchewan communities to start their reconciliation journey. What are some of the first steps that municipalities can take to begin or strengthen their reconciliation journey? 
Um, so I would have to say the first steps would be to educate yourself and to become aware of the hard truths of Canada's past and what led us to where we are today. Um, but not only Canada's past, it's really beneficial to look into your local history as well, um, which treaties were signed on the territories that you live in, who lived on the territory, what is the history of the people on the territory as well. Um, I guess another step would be to become an advocate in your community and in, in your workplace as well. And yeah, for me, those are some of the key factors in beginning your reconciliation journey. There is a growth model that the Office of the Treaty Commissioner has created, and it's outlined on your website, which can, and it consists of six steps within four categories, if I'm getting that correct. Um, why was it important to outline this process in this way? Yeah, well, it was a bit of a process in that we were trying to listen to Saskatchewan folks about saying, what what does this future look like if we're successful on treaty implementation? And so we... Um, went out and created a vision of reconciliation and, and treaty implementation based on those voices. And then from there created um, essentially kind of a logic model, some steps to, to get to that vision. So, um, you know, again, we were hearing from people that, well, what does this actually mean, reconciliation? What are we going for? And then what are some actual tangible steps that we can do? So this was an attempt to, uh, create a bit of a journey for people and to sort of lay out some real tangible things. Okay, here's some things that you need to learn um, in terms of building your own capacity, both as an individual, but also as an organization or you know, municipality, for example. You know, you need to, to learn, learn about anti-racism. You learn need to learn about treaties. You need to understand about indigenous cultures and worldviews. Um, and then taking that next step further, how, what are the things you need to do and what and how do we live? So these this creates a bit of a, a framework around which people can kind of think about their work. And it's um, it's intended to bring in both the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but also the calls to justice of the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls uh, inquiry, as well as the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, all these sort of major uh pieces of research and, and knowledge that are out there already, we tried to pull it together into some tangible steps, again, that that organizations and municipalities can use to figure, okay, where are we on the journey? What have we done? And what have we not done? And how do we move forward? And how do we hold ourselves accountable? And how do we measure progress? Uh, and how, how do we figure out, is this making an impact in our communities? So that's, that's why we sort of created this uh, framework the growth model to try to help organizations move that needle together. So within that model, um, it kind of starts with the capacity changes and moves towards societal changes. What are some ways that municipalities can start working with their capacity changes? With capacity, I guess with our growth model in general, so there's three phases, um, 28 outcomes and four elements of the vision. We also have st six stages from engage, learn, strengthen, change, implement and harmonize. So starting, in starting at capacity changes is kind of about what you know, and it's about how you think. So um, I guess it would be understanding who you are and where we came from, learning about your local and national history, um, learning Indigenous spirituality, worldview, and ways of knowing, and then uh, I guess realizing how inequities and privilege play out in our lives. And once you get a little bit of insight and know about um, those capacity changes and how we think, 
then you're able to move on to the behavioral changes. And under that would be stuff like utilizing trauma-informed approaches to reduce ongoing harm, um, hiring Indigenous people within your organization, uh, revising policies and practices to challenge system inequities. So once you um, know how you act, then you can actually move on to societal changes, which would be, you know, integrating First Nation and Métis languages, um, amplifying and supporting Indigenous voices to advocate for their rights and interests, and, you know, transforming uh, all of the spaces and systems to be equitable and anti-oppressive. Yeah, if Everett wants to touch on that one as well. For municipalities, they need to ensure that their employees are well informed about our history and about racism and about different things that affect what they do. Uh, you know, they need to build relationships and they need to start acting uh, accordingly based on that. So how do you, how does a municipality hire Indigenous people? How do they create a, a safe work environment so that Indigenous people want to work at the municipality and want to stay working there? Um, how do you look at your policies? Those kinds of things. Those are all important pieces that I think will move from just the learning stage to the actual doing stage. And then again, hopefully that's kind of the the, the way we we change the way we live. Um, you know, municipalities. We all know Saskatchewan um, has its challenges, and but but small towns and and First Nations have a lot in common and have a lot of think of benefit to work together. And so um, you know, having building those relationships, building those that trust. And starting to build your policy so that you can work together on, you know, whether that's waste management or, uh, you know, all kinds of issues that are out there. It's it's really is in, in, in everybody's interest to work together. So that's all really great ways to, for municipalities to start moving forward. I know the Office of the Treaty Commission has been measuring reconciliation in Saskatchewan. What are some ways that you're doing this and why is it important to to measure how the province is doing as a whole with reconciliation? Yeah, well, we again, we think, you know, when you measure things, that's when things get done. Uh, and that's when you hold yourself accountable and things. So, again, we've got this sort of collective impact style of, of policy change that we're trying to do, which is that this idea that if we can all agree on uh, where we're going and, and what the vision, what the common agenda is together, and we measure progress in the same way, we use the same language, you use the same ways of measuring, then that's how we can see together if we're making <clears throat> progress towards where our common agenda is. And so I think the measurement piece is really important to hold ourselves accountable to to just to see again how how are we doing? Where are we falling short? Where are we exceeding our expectations? And then you know maybe you uh, readjust resources as a result. It's a sort of a common looking at ourselves and holding ourselves in the mirror and saying, okay, uh, this is where we want to get to and and we're not quite here yet or we're doing really well there. Uh, and just re recalibrating, re-strategizing, um, again, working together towards that future. So we think that the measurement piece is really important. And then we, so what we've been doing again with this growth model is um, working with organizations to create action plans. And so I have worked with the city of Saskatoon, for example, that was the first organization we did it with actually. And so I think that's the first municipality that we've done it with, um, but to sort of look at, okay, what has the municipality done so far? and what needs more to be done? And then how are we gonna measure progress on that? What are some of the indicators? What is the kind of the data that we need to start collecting so that we can see in five years if we've made progress? We're just about to finish a process with the Saskatoon Police Service. Uh, we've worked with Sask Culture. We've worked with a number of organizations to figure out where they are and how they move forward and how to measure progress. So we're excited that we have some tools that I think can help municipalities and other organizations 
um, to do that. It was really interesting when I first saw it because it wasn't something that I had realized was happening prior to kind of looking into things before this conversation. So I'm really excited to see where that goes and what what the layout is looking like throughout Saskatchewan. Um, you mentioned a little bit that there are materials um, that you can offer to communities to start to improve their work towards reconciliation. Uh, what are some of these materials or ways that municipalities can start working towards reconciliation? So at Office of the Treaty Commissioner, we do offer a few different uh, educational sessions, one being the treaty learning journey and which we recommend taking before the the full truth and reconciliation through treaty implementation phases. The treaty learning journey is a journey in which you will learn about Canada's history, including the treaties, residential schools, um, the Indian Act and present day issues, etc., And so the TRTI, which is the truth and reconciliation through treaty implementation process, Um, is a process, it goes in depth of where an organization can sort of map out how far they are in their reconciliation journey, um, using our growth model and TRTI framework to sort of map it out. Um, So it's followed by a collaborative process in which recommendations are made by the final meeting in phase two with the organization. Phase two consists of putting an action plan behind the recommendations, so assigning um, timelines to those actions and as well as assigning um, I guess a champion to lead the process. Um, Not only do we offer these informative presentations, but we also have a variety of speakers bureau members who go into the community and teach on topics based off of what was requested from the businesses um, through our website. Uh, We also offer tons of resources people can access and order online as well. That's a lot of places that people can reach to. And SUMA has used the the speakers bureau before, and it's a great resource if you are looking for someone to come and speak on a topic. We're also very connected as well. So if like, you know, if people are looking for uh, resources on anti-racism or other topics that maybe OTC doesn't uh, specialize in ourselves, we can we can put you in touch with with lots of other people. That's good to know, because it's always nice to have other connecting resources out there. It's hard to to hold it all on your own. So to know that there are people that can find who we need to, that's it's something that I think is very beneficial for a lot of municipalities. Or another one too, actually, I'm thinking about is um, land acknowledgements. We often get calls from municipalities asking, okay, we've got this meeting coming up. We want to do a land acknowledgement. We're not exactly sure how to do it. Is it what do you think about this language? So we often would sort of uh, be a sounding board for, for organizations to do that as well. And so push them to, to, do, to do some of the research and make it as personal as possible. And, and uh, really, you know, it's... Those land acknowledgements are a lot more powerful, a lot more meaningful if they're not just sort of read, uh, you know, the the standard, but but thinking about how does that land acknowledgement relate to your community and you personally, and, and how does that fit in terms of the treaty relationship and how are we going to move ahead together, things like that. So we try to often respond to those as well. Yeah, and that's a, a great example of challenges that some municipalities face. Uh, what are some of the other challenges that you've uh, noticed within communities or municipalities? I guess it would be sort of the lack of really just not knowing who to reach out to and where to start. And I guess it would also be from limited budgets budgets and resources as well. Yeah, and the fact that we just don't know each other very well, I think, between communities, First uh, Nations and, and small towns, uh, you know, the Indian Act has, has kept us apart on purpose, that has been designed to do that way. And so, you know, um, there are obviously lots of communities have, have relationships and have business relationships, have friendship relationships, sports relationships, all these things, but uh, not, I think, at, at the level that it could be. Um, and so 
um, I think that's sometimes a challenge is that people don't know necessarily who to reach out to. And um, so we can sometimes play that matchmaker a little bit and try to introduce folks and, and things like that. So. That's a great point, because I do think a lot of uh, starting points for people is that relationship building, especially between municipalities and some of the surrounding First Nations. But people don't always know where to start or who to reach out to or how to do that in a way that's respectful. It's uh, great that you highlighted that. Across the province, SASTEL is engaged with many different municipal organizations who seek to innovate. Contact your SASTEL account manager to learn more about some of these initiatives and how they can help your municipality today. You had mentioned a little bit before how you've worked with uh, the city of Saskatoon. Are there any other success stories from Saskatchewan municipalities? Yeah, um, I, th I think, um, again, there's there's 12 of these circles across the province, and I would say the municipalities have been involved in almost all of them. I can't think of any that off the top of my head that they, where they haven't been involved. So municipalities have, have um, been a key player in, in starting these up. Um, so we've had mayors, uh, the mayor in Lloydminster has been very involved, the mayor in Yorkton has been very involved. Um, so, you know, in terms of bringing those folks together, um, but as so at an elected level, but also at a, uh, um, you know, we have staff as well from municipalities that are often at these circles and, and things. So, yeah, I mean, there's been lots of great success stories. Lloydminster um, just built or just painted a huge mural um, outside of the health authority building in in downtown Lloydminster uh, worked with um, folks from Onion Lake and a local uh, artist and they do ceremony and they smudged it and they they um they did it to, with elders and they they created a beautiful mural of of uh indigenous kids and 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 women and, and things like that and so part of that is changing our spaces so that they're welcoming and so i think reflecting uh, indigenous people in our towns and and uh, nipwon was another one that just created a big mural in downtown uh nipwon um They've created signs outside and they're sort of welcome to Nippon signs. They've got a, a, a welcome to treaty territory and a little sign that talks about their relationship to treaty. Um, I think at the power dam actually in Nippon too, there's a big sign that they've created. Um, you know, and, and Lloydminster example has, has been the, the financial uh, host for some of these circles. So some of, you know, the, some of the challenges of the reconciliation circles is they're not a nonprofit per se often, and they're not really a so they don't have the, some of the legal structures to, to go out and find funding. So often municipalities have kind of played that role to, to be able to go out and find the, apply for the funding through the municipality and host the, the funding. And that has been super helpful um, as a very important role for, for the work and things. So, yeah, I think there's just, there's lots of good stuff happening um, across the province. It's, um, you know, obviously we want to keep it up and, speed it up in many ways but but there is lots of good stuff happening i think across the province yeah, well it sounds like there is definitely especially over the last few years a real uptake in people wanting to work towards reconciliation and even just the uh, what you've mentioned with the signs and things those are great ways that people can learn about the history of the area that they're living in that they may not have known before um, you mentioned those 12 reconciliation circles throughout Saskatchewan. How do they get started? Uh, where are they located throughout the province? And what kind of other than funding, what are the things that keep them going? 
Well, what keeps them going, I think, is just goodwill and energy from community members. Um, you know, they are the whole idea is to bring community leaders, both Indigenous, First Nation, Métis and non-Indigenous together. Um, and so we all know that there are lots of leaders in our communities that are working tirelessly to sort of make our communities better. But I we found that often the Indigenous and non-Indigenous leaders don't know each other, those community folks. So we created some, tried to create some space where people can come together and sort of get to know each other, start to build some trust, some relationships, start to learn and unlearn together um, and start to plan often sort of its public awareness type of activity. So a walk for reconciliation or uh, Tisdale and Melford just organized um, for Orange Shirt Day, September 30th, they organized a, some movies at the, the at the local theater in Tisdale. Um, and they, I think there was some kind of a walk around the park. And so often it's about educating their community about, about residential schools, about reconciliation, those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, so we often, the way it works is, is often as um, somebody in a community will say, we want to do some work on reconciliation. We've often, they'll have a small group of 10 sort of folks that they've often brought together. And they say, I've heard about this. Uh, how do we do it? Um, and then we sort of support them as much as we can in terms of trying to um, give advice on, you know, have you about, you know, including elders, for example, or advice on protocol or, um, um, you know, how, how to how to get some things started. Who, what are some of the funding opportunities that are out there? We have some. So we're trying to create um, a bit of a hub of, of between the communities as well so that they can talk to each other and say okay this worked in Yorkton or this worked in Prince Albert uh, have you tried this or this didn't really work very well here um, kind of creating a, a community of sort of reconciliation workers uh, that um, that can rely on each other that can um, can push each other can support each other this is sometimes really hard work and sometimes kind of lonely work and so I think we need to kind of create some some community there um, so yeah, we at the OTC try to support in whatever we, we can, um, but it, it but it is also very local led, and so all the circles are very different um, in the way they act and the way they you know their their demeanor and their sort of character, I should say, uh, which is fantastic, and that's I think sort of the strength, and that's one of the things I've learned traveling around this province is that there is a lot of differences between. Battleford and Yorkton or Prince Albert and Regina or, you know, there's, there's, there's differences in our communities and that, so we should handle reconciliation differently in each of these communities. And it has to be locally led and has to be based on uh, the priorities and the relationships and the history that is locally there um, or else it's, I don't think it's going to be nearly as effective. So we try to support those local groups to, to lead it in whatever way they've, feel is best, but to support them and to understand what other groups have done so they can be inspired and, and build some community there too. I really like what you said there about the, the network and the opportunity to connect with um, others who are on their reconciliation journey, but also how something that works in one space may not work in another because there are differences in, in the histories of each of those areas. The Office of the Treaty Commissioner has been working with hundreds of partner organizations since 2014 to develop a common vision for truth and reconciliation through treaty implementation. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the vision is for this and how it was created? Um, yeah, the vision was, again, we started this in 2016, I think, in terms of actually going out and um, with, I guess, again, this idea that, okay, what 
what does reconciliation mean or what does treaty implementation mean? And let's imagine a generation from now that we've made some progress. Uh, what, what would be what would that look like? Um, and so we actually have this exercise that we do where we uh, ask people to imagine themselves sitting around a fire in 25 years and as and they're telling stories to a young person about how things have gotten better. And so we ask them to say, well, what stories are you telling? What What's changed that you're proud of in 25 years? And so um, we did that exercise hundreds of times with thousands of people from all walks of life, um, from all across this province. And we collected that data and we said, and, and that is where people came to us and said, okay, well, there's four sort of main themes that, um, that if we all work together on these four things, then that that is going to create this common future for everybody where our grandchildren and children are going to thrive together. So the four things are, um, the first one is about understanding our history. So this idea that um, we need to know what has happened here on this territory and what continues to happen on this territory. Um, so we need to know about residential schools with 60 scoop and all these different assimilation policies that the Canadian government created to essentially try to sort of... Um, uh, assimilate and, and, and wipe out Indigenous people in Western Canada. Um, we need to know that. We also need to connect with our own ancestors that have settled. So my ancestors settled in Southeast Saskatchewan in around 1900. I need to know where they came, where were they from? How, how do I connect with that? Because that's part of my treaty story and, and things. So uh, that's the shared understanding of our history is that big piece there. Then second part of the vision is about vibrant cultures and worldviews. And that's about um, celebrating Indigenous, First Nations, and Métis uh, cultures in, in our province, but also non-Indigenous cultures and the many people that have come here. Uh, we need to share space together and we need to understand each other and, and celebrate those cultures and infuse it in everything we do. Uh, there's a real richness and a real, I think, a real beauty uh, a treasure for us to sort of uh, build on in terms of our cultures together. Um, third piece that people have said in that vision is that we need to have systems that benefit everybody. This idea that, you know, our health systems, our education systems, our political system, economic systems don't benefit everybody equally right now. And so how do we start to tear down and rebuild some of those systems so that everybody is benefiting? Uh, and then fourthly, um, people said that we need to have authentic relationships. <clears throat> so once we understand our history, once we're celebrating culture, once we have good systems, um, we're also we're connected with relationship and kinship and the, the treaty relationship was intended when we when when um, the treaty commissioner and First Nation chiefs smoked the pipe together they were imagining a future where we were family and we were friends and we were brothers um, and we worked together um, Justice Sinclair one of the treaty uh, the um, Truth and Reconciliation commissioners talks about reconciliation being um, I want to be your friend. And I want you to be to want to be my friend and I want our children to be friends and work together. And so that is, um, I think, at its simplest form, what truth and reconciliation is. And if we're friends, then we do things for each other to help each other and then to work together. And so, yeah, so that vision is those four elements, understanding our history, vibrant cultures, systems that benefit of us all and authentic relationships. And that's kind of the the basis upon which we have built the growth model and the measurement work and all these pieces that we've uh, worked towards. So hopefully that is something that people can get inspired by and can see themselves in and want to work towards. It does sound very inspiring. And I'm, I hope the same thing, that it is something that others can see themselves in as well. 
My last question here for you is around the reconciliation action plans. Could you tell me a little bit more about those and what kind of activities uh, they, they may include for anybody who's listening and wants to think about what their next steps might be? Yeah, for sure. So um, the action plan is actually a part of our uh, truth and reconciliation through treaty implementation framework. So essentially, they are created through a collaborative process between any organization and the office of the treaty commissioner. So in phase one, we gather as much information as we uh, possibly can from the organization. And from there, um, the recommendations will be made by the final um, session in phase one. Uh, then comes phase two, which is when the implementation sort of comes into play. So uh, with those actions, we're assigning timelines and people who are going to lead those pro processes, which we call them champions. Um, and yeah, so uh, by the end of phase two, once that's once that's all finished up, we're going to uh, kind of amalgamate the two reports together. Uh, those two amalgamated reports are actually what we call the action plan. Um, so the actions, I guess, are kind of steps taken to put in motion the recommendations that were made in phase one. And yeah, so I guess some examples of um, actions could be something as simple as putting a land acknowledgement uh, place in the main space of a business. So when people walk in, they sort of feel they feel more warm or they feel more welcome coming in uh, to the building. And number two could be something like an organization hosting a lunch and learn maybe once a month based on treaties or Indian residential schools or something, you know, where the, all cultures are sharing information about each other. Yeah, just giving information to each other that maybe one another didn't know before. And also inviting, you know, local First Nation speakers to attend those lunch and learns. I, I guess the actions are things that are really going to push the organizations and I guess the person from a personal perspective into um, the reconciliation journey. It's very similar to what Rhett was saying earlier about how it looks different for everywhere. So each action plan is going to be different based on those first couple of phases. That does bring me to the end of my questions for you. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Do, is there anything else that you wanted to share with municipalities before we before we leave off here? There's a lot of opportunity uh, for municipalities, I think, within reconciliation to 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 work with Indigenous folks, to communities, to to work together. Um, there's a lot of common uh, challenges, a lot of common objectives, I think, um, and so. It just makes a lot of sense to work together and to understand each other better. Um, uh, you know, the alternative is is not a good one. So, you know, we really need to to work together. And, um, you know, this I, I I have a lot of faith in this province. I have a lot, I, I lived uh, lived across other places and and really come back here and, and love Saskatchewan. Uh, but I know that we've got issues. There's pretty serious racism issues. Pretty serious. Um, across this province, and so yeah, I think it's really imperative on municipalities. I don't, I don't think it's actually a choice. I think you need to work on this stuff. It's a, it's, it's a responsibility, and um, you know there are tools out there, uh, so there's not really any excuses to not do it. Um, and uh, so that that's the sort of negative side of it. But the positive side is that you know I think there's a whole wealth of things that you will gain as a municipality by doing some of this work. And so um, just invite you invite you to continue your journey. I'm sure that all of the listeners have already started some things, but even by listening to this podcast, I'm sure they've already started their journey and things. So I just encourage them to keep going. Um, every step forward is a step forward. And, and this is a generational journey. We're not going to get it done in a year or two years or even five or 10 years probably, but um, one step at a time. And, and let's, let's, let's work on making this province a better place for everybody. 
Thank you very much uh, again for your time today, Rhett and Shade. This has been a really engaging conversation and I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedules to sit down with me and have it. Our pleasure and thank you for having us, Stephanie. This brings us to the end of another episode of MuniCast. Stay tuned for episode three, Indigenous Engagement with SASTEL, airing on November 29th.